0: once said our neighbor's spiritual need transcends every commandment everything else we do is a means to an end but love is an end already since god is love welcome to the 86th episode of saint dimphness playbook the sdp if you want to be cool a production of the grexley podcast network my name is tommy i'm a cradle catholic a marriage and family therapist a husband and father of five boys four on earth and one in heaven love you luke And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we have to rediscover the call every single one of us has to reach out to our neighbor and show them true love, the willingness to walk alongside them through their darkest night. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. (laughs) We talk a lot about how little we understand mental health, how it all actually works, and what's actually going on in our brains when we're feeling depressed, anxious, experiencing flashbacks, etc. But new research is aimed at figuring out just that, and not only is it interesting, but hopefully it'll help us to fight back against the stigma so deeply entrenched in our communities as it shows exactly what depression, for example, does to our brains. The walrus helps provide some background. Depression affects more than 260 million people around the world, but we barely understand it. We know that the balance between the prefrontal cortex at the front of the brain and the anterior cingulate cortex tucked just behind it plays some role in regulating mood, as does the chemical serotonin. But what actually causes depression? Is there a tiny but important area of the brain that researchers should focus on? and does there even exist a singular disorder called depression or is the label a catch-all denoting a bunch of distinct disorders with similar symptoms but different brain mechanisms fundamentally we don't have a biological understanding of depression or any other mental illness the problem requires an ambitious participatory approach if neuroscientists are to someday understand the biological mechanisms behind mental illness that is if they are to figure out what literally happens in our brain when a person is depressed manic or delusional they will need to pool their resources today the science of mental illness is based primarily on the study of symptoms patients receive a diagnosis when they report or exhibit maladaptive behaviors despair anxiety disordered thinking associated with a given condition if a significant number of patients respond positively to a treatment that treatment is deemed effective but such data reveals nothing about what physically goes on within the brain when it comes to various diseases of the brain we know astonishingly little the ancient Egyptians would remove the brain when embalming people because they thought it was useless in theory we've learned a few things since then in relation to how much we have left to learn though we're not that much farther along so back to me there is so much for us to learn when it comes to neuropsychology and what exactly is going on in our brains when we're feeling depressed, but the fact that there are talented researchers working hard to gain some insight is super exciting to me and hopefully to you too. Recognizing the physiology of mental illness is something that I think is vital to helping people understand exactly what's going on, to help people realize we can't always just suck it up and feel better, and to help people realize that sometimes we might need medication to feel better and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today, I'm going to introduce you to St. Madeline Sophie Barat. (laughs) Born in 1779, her mother's labor was induced because of incredible stress and terror over a huge fire at the neighbors' house, and Madeline was born 2 months premature and was considered extremely fragile. She was baptized the morning after her birth because her family was worried she might die. Her families were Jansenist Catholics, which was a theological movement primarily within the French church that emphasized original sin, human depravity, and the need for divine grace and predestination. Madeline's brother was a brilliant student who went into the seminary at age 16, but had to return home because he was too young to be ordained, and he spent his time at home educating young Madeline in Latin, Greek, history, natural science, Spanish, and Italian, providing her with an education rarely available to young women at the time. When the French Revolution hit, he took Madeleine with him to a Paris safe house to avoid authorities. As he continued to teach her the faith, she decided she wanted to become a Carmelite. Unfortunately, the religious community had been abolished in 1790 in France, and she had to continue a life of secret prayer and study. She briefly returned home to help her family, and upon returning to Paris, she met Joseph Varin, a French Jesuit priest who was interested in starting a religious order of women devoted to the Sacred Heart and the education of young women. Then Madeline ditched her Carmelite dreams and started working with this new congregation, taking vows as one of the first sisters and taking on a leadership role. During her 65 years in the Order, the Society of the Sacred Heart grew to include more than 3,500 members, educating women in Europe, North Africa, North, and South America. Madeleine Sophie Barat died at the General Motherhouse in Paris on Ascension Day, May 25, 1865. Her life began in trauma and continued to be an experience filled with fear and anxiety, yet she persevered, she kept her eyes on the Lord and what a beautiful friend she is for all of us. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Sacred heart of Jesus, give me a heart that is one with your own, a humble heart that knows and loves its nothingness, a gentle heart that holds and calms its own anxiety, a loving heart that has compassion for the suffering of others, a pure heart that recalls even the appearance of evil, a detached heart that longs for nothing other than the goodness of heaven, a heart detached from self love and embraced by the love of god it's attention focused on god it's goodness it's only treasure in time and in eternity amen and now you can't do therapy over twitter but i'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness it's time for twitter therapy Anonymous gets us started. I just recently started therapy for generalized anxiety and have been particularly experiencing a lot of anxiety about my vocation. I'm currently engaged and feel confident God is calling me to this vocation of marriage, but I've had a lot of anxiety about it recently as well. Let's start by praying for Anonymous for peace, consolation, and a clear answer from God as how best to move forward. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you so much for sending this question in. And I think it's important to know that you are not alone. So many of us are facing anxiety in the face of difficult life decisions. So many of us are wishing we could just hear the voice of God give us a clear and definitive answer to what we're supposed to do with our lives. But no matter how much we pray and ask and beg, we don't hear that voice loud and clear. The guidance of what we're supposed to do, what our vocation is, how we should move forward is so much more subtle than we want. And that's really, really hard. We're gonna look at heysigmund.com with some editing by me for some ideas for coping with this anxiety that comes when we're trying to figure out how to move forward. First, practice mindfulness. Mindfulness strengthens the brain's capacity to filter out distraction, to make it more grounded, to make good, grounded, relevant decisions. It limits the influence of the things that don't matter so you can focus on the things that do. Second, understand where the anxiety is really coming from. Work stress or day-to-day life stress such just having an argument or being stuck in bad traffic can trigger enough emotion and intrusive thoughts to influence important, unrelated decisions. Anxiety can also stem from past incidents. The emotion may have been justified then, but now it might be just getting in the way unwarranted on anxiety can lead to overly safe decision making. By looking for where the anxiety has come from, its influence on our behavior can be reduced. Third, slow it down. Slowing down sounds like it should be easy, but no, life is rarely that simple. Slowing down involves a deliberate shift away from automatic thoughts and feelings and toward what is actually happening, what you are actually feeling, and what might be behind it. So much of the way we feel and our response to a situation happens automatically, but it doesn't have to be this way. The greater awareness we have around what we're doing or feeling, the more power we have to change it. Fourth, try challenging the presence and influence of anxiety by acting as if there is nothing to be worried about. This might be difficult, but the more you do it, the easier it will come. Stay with the moment. Right now you're okay. And you'll keep being okay. Even if it doesn't feel true for you, act as if it is. The point is reducing anxiety enough so that it doesn't force itself into decisions when it isn't needed. Lastly, just because there are choices doesn't mean there is a wrong one. What decision would you make if there wasn't a wrong one? Often, the way anxiety makes decision-making of uh, harder is by tricking us into believing that there will be a right choice and a wrong choice, a good choice, and a bad choice. If you're feeling really stuck between two decisions, it's very likely that neither decision will be the wrong one. Once you've made the decision, whichever one that might be, you'll start organizing the environment around you, including your own behavior and responses, to make sure that things work out. Your resilience, creativity, and resourcefulness will rise up to support you and propel you forward. Back to me, I'm so proud of you for connecting to a therapist that really shows your strength and just please know that we'll be praying for you moving forward. A Different Anonymous is up next. Have you done a podcast or have any suggested resources for severe postpartum anxiety? A dear friend is experiencing it and while I pray for her and listen, I don't know how else to help. Let's join together in praying for everyone experiencing postpartum mental health symptoms for relief, recovery, and understanding from loving friends and family hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen first i want to say how great it is to hear how much you care about your friend And are trying to learn how best to help her this is such a blessing and such a wonderful example so first of all thank you let's start with some info from healthline.com most if not all new parents experience some worry but the symptoms of postpartum anxiety disorder include constant or near constant worry that cannot be eased feelings of dread about things you feel will happen sleep disturbance. Yeah, now, now this is a hard one to pick out, right? Since a newborn means you sleep uh, less, it'll be disruptive, uh, even without having anxiety. But think of this as waking up or having troubled sleeping at times when your baby is sleeping peacefully. Okay, next, racing thoughts. As if that wasn't enough, you can also have physical symptoms related to postpartum anxiety, like fatigue, heart palpitations, hyperventilation, sweating, nausea, vomiting, shakiness, or trembling. There are a couple of even more specific types of postpartum anxiety, postpartum panic disorder, and postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Their symptoms match those of their non-postpartum counterparts, though may relate more specifically to your role as a parent. With postpartum OCD, you may have obsessive recurring thoughts about harm or even death befalling your baby. With postpartum panic disorder, you can have sudden panic attacks related to similar thoughts. Back to me one of the most important things we can do for a friend experiencing postpartum anxiety is to help them get connected to a therapist or a medical professional who can recognize what's going on and provide treatment to help them start finding wellness this can include encouraging them to set up an appointment going with them to the appointment and doing some of the hard work of navigating how to get help because when you're experiencing these symptoms navigating the confusing healthcare system can be downright impossible Another way to help is to go on walks with your friend. This can give some baby free time and just getting outside and being with a friend can help. Last, remind your friend that you are there for her no matter what and that you won't be scared off by what she's going through and the symptoms that she's experiencing. I hope that helps. A third anonymous wraps us up. When I was really depressed, I didn't brush my teeth regularly or take particularly good care of my body. Now I want to go to the dentist and doctor again, but I'm so anxious of the idea of having to confess that I didn't go for a while, deal with the consequences or face a doctor's judgment or disappointment. Any advice for how to overcome this anxiety and maybe how to talk to a doctor so I can get back on track with my health care. Well, let's pray for Anonymous and everyone who has experienced mental health symptoms that left us unable to take care of ourselves, that we may find peace, forgiveness within, and supportive family and friends to help us as we walk through recovery. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. You know, at the end of every SDP, I always make sure to say, go easy on yourselves. And I say this because it's so easy for us to beat ourselves up for absolutely everything. We always think we should have known better, should have done better. And I so desperately want people to understand in the depths of their heart that we're all doing the best we can at any given time. And we have to cut ourselves some slack. That's easier said than done, of course, and it can be really hard to look back on how we were functioning when we were feeling bad and not feel ashamed or guilty. I wish I could free you from that feeling. I wish I could free everyone from that feeling. I have two thoughts. First, we don't owe it to anyone to explain that we've been so depressed we haven't been able to keep up with taking care of ourselves. When the dentist asks, how have you been keeping up with brushing and flossing? We can definitely answer, not as well as I should have been, or I've been trying to. And we can leave it at that. That should be enough. No one has a right to hear our deep feelings inside of us if we're not interested in sharing them, and that's okay. Remind yourself that you are at the dentist to get back on track with taking care of your teeth. The same with the doctor. You're going to the doctor to get back on track. Remember that we can't change the past, but what beautiful strength it shows that you're now able to take these positive steps to care for your teeth and for your overall well-being. Lastly, this. It is so important to remember that depression is not your fault. You do not deserve depression. Nobody does. You didn't cause your depression. You have absolutely nothing to feel guilty about. We'll be praying for you and that you continue on the road to recovery from depression and continue to find happiness, joy, and comfort in the arms of Christ. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head over to Ave Maria's website to pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dimphna.